Macro Podcast number 440 for January 13th, 2015, brought to you by Zero, beautiful accounting software, and lynda.com with over 3,000 video courses. Lynda.com has something for everyone. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and of course with me is my co-host, straight from Las Vegas, Susie Oaks. Hey, Susie. Hello. Hi. So uh, before we actually started recording, you were saying that you slept this weekend. I did. I slept a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I took naps. It was glorious. Lots of sleeping. Because you don't get to sleep a lot when you're in Vegas for CES. Yeah, because I think most of the people who listen to this podcast are familiar with Macworld Expo and what that experience is like. And we always talk about, oh, yeah, we had so much fun. It was exhausting. And we don't think a whole lot about CES because it isn't really Apple-focused. But it's just a massively huge show and exhausting, even even if you know Apple is your primary beat. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, it's I, it's like ten trade shows at once. Um, the the connected home had like its own hall this time, and there's you know tons of wearables and health products and sleep products were a big deal this time, and smart appliances and TVs and computers and components and um, sensors and chips and it's it's got a little bit of everything, a lot of everything. Yeah. So you know, as a writer, you can kind of decide what sort of thing you're going to look at and you can schedule appointments all day and leave no time for writing and be up all night. Or um, you can try to leave a few hours just to kind of stroll around and gawk at things and uncover, you know, neat things that might not be on your beat, like rocket skates or Bluetooth snowboard bindings. Or So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It was a lot of fun. Um, I looked at a lot of home kit things. And then um, there was a, there's a big pavilion that has a lot of um, – I, I, uh, eye lounge kind of products. So, you know, all your your iPad accessories and iPhone cases and speakers and, and all that stuff that, that works with iPhones and iPads did kind of have a big area. So. Yeah. so I saw a lot of stuff from companies that, you know, our readers would recognize like Incipio and Henge Docs makes their beautiful Mac Docs. They've got a new one coming out this spring. Um, Spec, you know, with their cases and uh, for the Mac and for the iPad, a lot of... Uh, new iPad keyboards from Zag. So yeah, we'll have a lot, a lot of follow-up stories coming as these products actually hit the market. Good. Well, I want to talk about a couple of these areas specifically. So when last we talked over our terrible Skype connection, <laughs> um, we talked, because you'd only been there like, well, you'd been there a couple of days, but the show had just opened when we spoke. Yeah. And you had more time. And I think that day you were going to spend a whole lot of time talking about HomeKit stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's let's catch up on some of that. So what kinds of things did you see and how deeply are companies going into HomeKit? Um, so companies that I've talked to all seem, you know, the ones that are supporting HomeKit are all really stoked about it. They think that um, the way that Apple's handling the security is, you know, like built into the stack so they don't have to, you know, reinvent the wheel every time um, for security for both the devices and the apps that talk to them. And they just uh, they think that it's really going to help mainstream the stuff for, for Apple fans because all the connected gear stuff works with iPhone already, all the stuff that's been out. But getting them to talk to each other can be kind of an issue. Mm-hmm. And setup can be kind of clunky. You'll, you know, you'll plug a device in and it'll want to, like, make its own Wi-Fi network. And then you connect to that. And then you, you know, through the app, tell it what your real Wi-Fi network is. And it have to switch over. And so it's kind of this clunky dance. 
even when it works and when it doesn't work, it's just really frustrating. So that that whole setup process is going to be taken care of, you know, in the HomeKit framework too. So for consumers, it'll be a lot easier. And for companies, it'll help them kind of focus on, you know, just doing the thing that they do best, like coming out with the best product or the best app, because you don't even need to use your own products to, to play in the HomeKit space. You could be a software developer and just make apps that run other people's HomeKit stuff and, uh, you know, make your mark that way. So it's still kind of early. Um, I asked everybody I talked to, like, you know, what what is it not doing yet that you would like it to do? And they were like, okay, well, right now it's all just kind of on-off controls and, um, as Apple adds more things to the spec, there's going to be you know support for more different kind of environmental sensors and better proximity triggering. So it's going to keep getting better. But the companies that are playing there now are really excited to just kind of jump in and see more features kind of come along later. Um, you won't have to buy new gear. Your apps will just update the firmware and your existing HomeKit gear. And yeah, hopefully it's gonna it's gonna really just take put a lot more simplicity in the connected home space. You won't have to think as much about, okay, if I buy this, is it going to work with all the stuff I already have? And and you'll get that deep OS integration with Siri that, that would really will really um, make everything easier to control. So specifically, who did you talk to and what kind of things are they doing? Yeah, okay. So I'm working on a slideshow right now. So I even have the list like right in front of Ooh. me. So um, <laughs> yeah, Insteon, who has been in the connected home market forever, they already have more than 200 products, you know, light switches to plugs to everything, cameras. Um, they announced a bridge. So um, HomeKit can run without a hub, but if, uh, you know, Insteon uses a different protocol for the devices. So um, they're putting out a, uh, an Insteon hub that will bring HomeKit support to the whole suite of products that they already have. Mm. And uh, the CEO said, okay, yeah, you're running a hub, but now you know every Internet of Things product doesn't need to actually be on the Internet. Like your light switch doesn't need to have an IP address. Oh, okay. Whereas if you bought you know, a Wi-Fi light switch, yeah, it would have an IP address. So, so he thinks that's going to be you know, just an extra layer of, um, of security um, and... You know, like Insteon stuff is already in the marketplace. Right. So it's going to do kind of routing where the hub handles distribution yeah. of all the con connectivity. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And um, Elgato, who you already know from their ITV product mm -hmm. and the game capture thing that is a huge success, um, they're going into the home space. They've got an Eve line that's going to have a door and window sensor. It can tell you when your door or window is open and um, a couple different weather sensors and a plug. So they're getting into it that way. Um, Schlage has been making door locks for 95 years. So they announced the Schlage Sense, which is going to be their first Bluetooth lock that will have HomeKit support. And that will let your phone act as the key. So you know eventually you'll just be able to walk up to your door and it'll, it'll unlock for you. You won't have to fumble around. And it does have... Uh, a numeric touchpad on it still so you can give codes to you know the babysitter or your house guests or something and don't have to worry about what kind of phone they have setting them up you know with the app they can just punch in a code and enter your house that way um let's see iDevices is doing a switch which is a a really well-designed little plug that um has a you know you plug it into your wall it has another plug on the side and a little strip of leds that can kind of act as a nightlight 
So um, and then the app can tell you, you know, how much power that plug is using. And if you plug something in with a mechanical switch, like a light or a fan or an air purifier, it can uh, control that for you. Um, Wythings, who has a bunch of, uh, uh, they have like a connected scale and a uh, sleep product now. Um, so a lot of health things we've been seeing from them. They have an activity tracker. Um, they announced the uh, home camera, which is uh, an, another IP camera like the drop cam, mm-hmm. but it also has uh, environmental sensors that detect uh, volatile organic compounds. So they did a demo where um, CES is uh, silly with hand sanitizer. It's everywhere. Everyone's always right, right. Uh, gooping up with hand sanitizer to try not to get the flu from all the handshaking. So the guy, I, I had no idea like that this stuff gave out toxic fumes <laughs> so uh, he squirts a bunch of hand sanitizer on his hand and, like holds it next to this camera and we saw the the voc detector on the app go from good to bad all of a sudden and it'll give you actionable advice like say okay like your your carpet in this room that you, you just got a new rug and it's kind of off gassing so you might want to open a window and air it out in here so so that's kind of nice and then um it's also really good looking it looks like uh Something that you know could come out of Apple R and D. It's mm-hmm. got a bamboo shell, and so so that's pretty cool. Um, what else? Yeah, Incipio has an adapter and an outlet, and uh, they're working on a power strip. So yeah, there'll be a lot of uh, plugs. Where um, iHome has one too. So we saw plugs from iHome, Incipio, and iDevices that will let you plug in, you know, the little appliances that you have around your house now, and get those connected to HomeKit. And then all the apps kind of let you, you know, group things into a room, like how many plugs do I have in this room? What are they connected to? And then set little scenes if you want to have them on a timer or just, you know, if, if I'm going to bed, I want these five things to happen all at once. Mm-hmm. And you won't have to, to, you know, turn those all on and off individually. So that's kind of what it's uh, what it's starting with is a lot of little controls of, of lights and cameras and things like that. But then, um, you know, as the, the spec matures, you'll be able to use one thing as a trigger for other things. And yeah, it's going to be cool. I'm really excited to see what people do, not just with the hardware, but with the software. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a whole kind of second level of competition there because you can use one company's software to to control another company's things. Like I met with a company that's still kind of in stealth mode. They're called Zendo. Mm-hmm. And I can't get into specifics about their products, but they're releasing, I think they said 12 products by the end of the year and 48 in the next four years. They had quite the roadmap. It was a really impressive presentation, but their software looks really good. And they said that they don't mind if you just use their free app and never buy a single piece of hardware for them. Mm. So, I mean, I think, you know, that once you see what their hardware can do, it'll be, it's, it's a pretty attractive um, you know, story, but uh, yeah. So the the software and the hardware are going to be kind of separate levels of of competition for these companies to make their mark. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this stuff, and I, I was trying to think of a practical reason other than the fact that ooh, it's cool. Yeah. But I noticed that my power bill has been going up the last couple of years, and I know there are devices in my house that are running that don't need to be running, but I know they're sucking power even in, when they're in sort of that idle mode, and I would love mm-hmm. to know what those are. So if I had a piece of software that would give me a basically a blueprint of all my power outlets, or at least all the smart ones, and give me a readout, like, you know, put a little red indicator over this, like, this is sucking power, and do you want it to suck this much power? And then 
find out what that device is and go, oh, I could actually do without that because I'm not using it now. So, for example, um, I love Sonos' stuff, but it uses a lot of power even when it's in idle mode. And I didn't know that until I actually started looking at the specs of the thing. Mm-hmm. I don't need to have those things on all the time. So if I could unplug those, or better yet, be able to sit in my office, look at what's going on around the house and go, oh, okay, that's sucking power. I'm not going to use this for the next four hours, so I'm just going to switch it off from my phone or my iPad or, or my Apple TV, for example. Um, so I have to think people are working on that kind of thing, but the ability for people to manage the amount of power that their homes use, in addition to doing kind of remote activation of things, is cool. But um, i just like to save some money, and I think this looks like a good way to do it. Yeah, and this it's going to enable all kinds of uses like that. Like, I mean, software makers could say, "Okay, we're going to yeah, we're going to write an app that's going to use HomeKit to to watch your power." And then, you know, another software maker could say, "Okay, I'm going to use the same HomeKit devices, but write an app where the whole idea is that your lights will just switch on as soon as you walk into a room and mm-hmm. switch out as soon as you won't." So, it kind of depends on yeah, what use cases and the framework is flexible enough that you know you'll be able to use the same devices to to solve different product problems, which is pretty neat. It is pretty neat. Um, months ago, I talked to Bill Wicking over at the um, Hawaii Preparatory Academy, where they've got a, a science lab, which is all sort of platinum certification for uh, being um, energy sufficient. And one of the things they have going on there, which I totally see as an application here, is that. They have um, oxygen sensors in the classrooms. And if they find that the carbon dioxide level has gone up to a certain point, it automatically opens the windows because it turns out that we concentrate better if we have more oxygen and less carbon dioxide. Which, at the time he was demoing, it was like, whoa, this is so, you know, 22nd century. But it all just sounds like, yeah, we can just have one of those in each room. And uh, when the CO2 goes up, open the windows and you know naturally it's it's not going to be cheap to do this initially but um another sort of very practical thing where particularly as i work at home and i get a little sleepy in the afternoon and it would be and i think it's because of the <laughs> co2 in here and the warmth of all the computers running at the same time so yeah having something that tells me like oh okay you're sleepy let's open the window now you're freezing and uh, get back to work yeah, so the, like the the actual products I was seeing were all pretty simple. If you just look at it individually, like, oh, that's a plug and it's on Bluetooth. Okay, no big deal. But yeah, it's going to be the way that they they work together and they take you know a lot of the the complexity, uh, <laughs> sorry, the complexity out of uh, setup and and security, and just um you know the different use cases that the software writers will be able to to dream up. Right, and that's why the software component is so important because mm-hmm. you may have these things all over the place and you go oh. You know, even we, I, you know, we could do it because we're geekish that way. Right. But you throw this at my aunt Vilma, and she may see the benefit of it, but then go, well, I don't know how to do this. You know, so I think those people that create the software apps that put it all together in a reasonable and understandable way are the ones that, that are going to win out in the end. Yeah. Um, Let's move on to some other stuff, but before we do, let's hear about Xero, which is beautiful accounting software. Xero, spelled X-E-R-O, is the online accounting software and platform for your small business. With Xero, it doesn't matter if your small business is brick and mortar or online. That's because Xero was not only born, but also built in the cloud. This means that you can manage your accounting anytime, anywhere from your Mac, PC, iOS, or Android device. 
Sign up for a free 30-day trial at zero.com slash podcasts to manage your invoicing and get paid faster, get an instant view of your cash flow, track your expenses on the go, and manage all of your financial reports. You can even collaborate with your accountant or bookkeeper in real time whenever you like. Zero seamlessly integrates with over 350 best-in-class business tools to process mobile payments, manage payroll, run your back office, and much more. It's no wonder that over 400,000 customers in more than 180 countries use Zero, and you can too. Sign up for a free 30-day trial at zero.com slash podcast. That's xero.com slash podcasts. And not only that, Zero randomly selects five people a month who have signed up to receive a mystery box of goodies called Zero Plus from a company that already swears by Zero. Zero, beautiful accounting software. Okay, um, one of the other trends, at least last year, was all this health tech stuff. Was that represented at CES, or is that kind of like, yeah, we're not doing that so much now? Um, yeah, we did. Um, Jared from PC World did a lot of wearables coverage, and it's getting a little more niche, it seems like, instead of just like, oh, here's another wrist strap that will count your steps. And like that, that ship has kind of sailed. Those, the market's pretty saturated with those, and the prices are getting so low that... It's almost, you know, just a, a component now, mm -hmm. a commodity. So, but yeah, we're seeing different niche ones. Like there was, um, there was a one that was just for your feet. And oh, is that the one that's the like the insert for your shoes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that looked kind of cool. And um, yeah, I didn't look at too many of those. But yeah, health is big. Um, the, there were a lot of sleep things you know, put this under your mattress and it'll, it'll count your, your REM sleep. And so the, the, the biggest thing for those is not just, you know, to quantify everything anymore, to, but to give you actual, you know, actionable steps to say, you know, your if, if your sleep is bad, like this is why, and not just here's how many hours you slept, but trying to, to come up with the insights I think is is their next big thing to tackle. Is, so is that the point where they then say you need a CPAP machine, and here, yeah. go get one here at Bob's CPAP Emporium? <laughs> because I wonder, you know, we have all this data, and yes, it can say this is, you know, your REM sleep is bad because you're flipping over so many times. But other than the fact that we then obsess about it, what can you do? You know, I guess right. you, I suppose you could take it to your doctor and say, well, look, you know, I'm, this is happening. So is it my mattress? Is, I'm not getting enough oxygen. What's going on? But I do sort of wonder about, you know, if we're getting to the point where we just have all this data and then just, just worry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I had a scale that, you know, measures the CO2 in my room, but doesn't really, it just gives me a number. And I have to say, you know, I, I had to Google it to find out if that was normal or, you know, if I should get a plant or open the window or get an air purifier or what. Yeah. So, I mean, getting the, the data is one thing, but hopefully it'll help you kind of test out some, some hypothesis. Like if, you know, you say, all right, for, for two weeks, I'm going to stop drinking coffee after 2 p.m. And then you can use, you know, your sleep sensors to see if that, you know, moves the needle at all. So, yeah, you could ban LEDs from, from, your, from your room, you know, cover up all the little charging lights on everything with tape and then check the data for a couple of weeks mm -hmm. and see. So I, I think it'd be great if the, the apps start giving us more suggestions, but at least they give you kind of ways to test your, your own theories. Right. And then about Apple-related stuff, it, back several years ago, there was no central location. So you'd kind of wander around the floor and then suddenly there's like 
cases here and then you go somewhere mm-hmm. else and they're batteries and then Ilon stepped in I don't know three or four years ago and um, started they created the Ilon Pavilion I don't know if they called it the Ilon Pavilion or whether they're still sponsoring it um, but there was still kind of a central location was it did, w- people looking forward to the watch at all or are they kind of holding back to see what Apple actually does with it yeah, I mean, I think people are like the people I talk to are all like Apple nerds and they were very excited about the Apple Watch because they just you know, we've been looking forward to it for so long and 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 no one had seen it yet and and so yeah, like that's there's a lot of excitement around that. I did see one accessory for it already. Mm. Um the guys from Stands Out who make these really nice uh articulating iPhone and iPad stands. Um they made a little like stand for your watch. So it goes on your, you know, bedside table or wherever, and it's got three USB ports kind of tucked under the bottom so you can have your iPad and your iPhone and your Apple Watch all plugged in. Um, so it just, it's a stand that kind of fits the, the inductive charger. Mm-hmm. So it's not an extra charger, but it's just a little, a little place to display your, your watch and your charger. Um, and then the, the head of it kind of swivels, so if you want to point it towards you, if it's going to you know, give you notifications at night, hopefully not. Um, But yeah, so that looked really nice. And then uh, I guess (laughs) I didn't make it over here, but uh, Mashable uh, found a a total knockoff. Oh, yeah, yeah, I read about that. Yeah, did you see that? That was a good one. They found a knockoff iWatch for $27 (laughs) and bought it in a very shady transaction, Um, you know, kind of like a meet me out back sort of thing. So yeah, I I saw that and I was kicking myself. I think I saw that on the last day I was in Vegas and I was just like, no, why didn't I find that? Like, why didn't I write the story? I'm so jealous at how good it is. So yeah, kudos to them. But um, yeah, they they weren't calling it the iLounge Pavilion anymore. I guess this year they called it the iProducts Marketplace. Oh, okay. A terrible name, but yeah, they were all kind of grouped together. And if you were an Apple fan, you could stop by North Hall and and poke around. And I got to see some some you know friends of MacWorld over there, so that was good. Was it mostly cases and and that sort of thing? Or there were a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, you know, OtterBox, LifeProof um, had a lot of cases. Uh, Spec had a happy hour at their booth, so I definitely stopped by that. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Henge Docs was showing off their, their really nice new docs, and that they'll, they'll be at South by Southwest next. Since there's no Macworld Expo this year, sob. So, yeah, there, there were a lot of a lot of pro- uh, companies over there that, that we would recognize. iHome, um, you know, Incipio, Incase, all the big, the big hitters. Yeah. Well, speaking of Macworld Expo, did any of the vendors you talked to say anything about it like oh you know drag that we don't get to go or like yay we don't have to go because we don't have to pay for it or was there any any kind of comment about it yeah a couple people asked me if i thought it was going to come back and i was like okay well i mean you know it's idg world expo is putting it on but that's not my division of idg so i don't really know but you know it's not it's not this year and and people are bummed about it just kind of because it's you know another chance to to meet up and and see people right um, CES is fun because you get to you see people that you know you don't always see. They're not in the Bay Area, um, so you don't just meet up with them at all these little press events. But um, 
you know, it's also very hard to meet up with people at CES because everyone's schedules are so packed. So Right. And it's not a consumer show. It's for press and for um and buyers. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the, you know, the companies that were showing off their gear to, to press and buyers um, wouldn't get that direct connection with consumers that they were getting at, at uh, Macworld Expo. So now it's even more important to get, you know, people to write about it, I guess. Yeah. So you think on going on into the future, it's worth Macworld going to CES and checking out what's going on there? Yeah, I think so. Um, a lot of the, especially as, um, you know, there were a lot of CarPlay things, mm-hmm. like Ken, Kenwood showed off their CarPlay stereos. And so Apple's kind of, you know, as Apple branches into these new areas a little bit, um, CES is a good sneak peek at, at products that, you know, are going to use those technologies. So, you know, HomeKit and HealthKit and CarPlay. And I'm sure the Apple Watch will have a big presence next year when people can actually, you know, make more accessories for it. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're going to keep going just the, the way our group is kind of structured. Um, I was mostly there helping tech hive and PC mm-hmm. world a little bit. And then, you know, like my third mission was to <laughs> keep an eye out for anything that would be, um, you know, germane for Macworld. And I think that's going to end up mostly just being, uh, you know, schmoozing and, and finding products to cover as they hit the market more than, okay, like there's here's a huge trend in Apple products that yeah. was uncovered at CES. Like it's a lot of, you know, like home HomeKit was definitely that big trend this year. Right. Yeah. And I found that in the past too. Dan Frakes and I used to go and there was some Apple specific stuff, but it, a lot of it was kind of the Casey kind of stuff. But you would mm-hmm. look for the broader trends, like what's happening in tech. And so much of it was driven by either what Apple had just done or was planning to do that you, you looked for these these big kind of um, movements. And then you that was what we wrote about mostly. Yeah. Yeah, I came back with a lot of ideas for, you know, like, ooh, we got to do another AirPlay speaker roundup. And yeah. like, okay, here's here's like th- four more companies I should email about getting, you know, the newest iPad keyboards in and and that kind of thing. So there'll, there'll be a lot of stories coming out of CES that aren't necessarily CES stories, right. which is good because I'm tired of writing about it already. <laughs> I got a few more things coming. Yeah, no, I imagine. Because it's, uh, it's just an exhausting show. So yeah. good on you for doing it, and I'm glad I didn't have to. Yay. Yay. Um, let's talk, uh, we talked about the future. Let's talk about the past a little bit. Um, you just wrote a story, <laughs> in addition to all your CEO stuff, about the iPhone's eighth anniversary. Yeah, I guess, was that Friday? Was the the eighth anniversary of the, the biggest CES troll of all time, which <laughs> was when, when Apple announced the, the iPhone uh, in San Francisco while half the tech press was at CES in Las Vegas and... I wasn't, you know, I wasn't at CES because I was at the iPhone keynote, but I, I, I guess that the, the people at CES were just like, no. Yeah, I think all the air went out of everything. Yeah, so memories, good times. Yeah, I was actually at that keynote. It was only my second Steve Jobs keynote because I had just joined the stack of the staff of uh, Mac Addicts turned Mac Life mm-hmm. the previous summer. That was actually our, our launch party for for the new Mac Life was that was our first issue dropped at, at Macworld Expo. So yeah, I went got to go to the keynote. It was a lot easier to get into the keynotes those days. Right. And I I, I took notes on paper. Yeah. <laughs> which I found when I was cleaning out my desk when I left Mac Life. Uh 
you know, in the summer of 2013, and I found my notes, and they started off with, okay, Steve Jobs is wearing a, a black turtleneck, and surprise, and, and, and he's got three new products for us, and it's an iPod, and a phone, and an internet communicator, because I totally fell for it. Right. His little, his little ruse about three products, and then he kept being like, and it's one product, do you get it? And yeah, that's when I finally got it. So, yep, he had me hook, line, and sinker from the from the very beginning. So just, I was at the same event. Um, we weren't sitting next to each other. We didn't know each other at the time. No. No. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what you were carrying at the time. So what mm-hmm. phone did you have? Just uh, just <laughs> to kind of compare and contrast where we are today versus where we were then. Yeah, I had the Moto Razor, the little, cool little flip phone that was mm-hmm. you know somewhat cool at the time. It um, made calls. Yes, it made calls. It told time. I think you could get on that, you know, that like text only version of the internet that they had for phones back mm-hmm. then that was terrible. So if you really wanted to get, you know, the score of a game or something and you really couldn't wait until you were at a proper computer, it could help you find that. But I, you know, I don't even think I was using text messages on it very much because the experience just wasn't that good. Yeah. And yeah, but I was engaged at the time, and I remember looking at the iPhone and going, oh, man, that could help me out in so many ways, <laughs> having just a little pocket computer that I can check my email on and, and you know, look, look up things online and try to stay a little more organized. Like I had, you know, a binder and, and a, a spreadsheet and all kinds of, you know, tools to help me plan this wedding that mm-hmm. were not very mobile. So, yeah, I was jealous. I wanted one, but it was a little too expensive for me at the time. Yeah, I th- thought the reaction to it was interesting. I was sitting next to a guy who was a diehard Trio user, and he kind of grumbled throughout the whole thing. You know, he too, like me, went, whoa! <laughs> and I think I had a Sony Ericsson phone, you know, which, again, you could make and receive calls, and you could do little tiny things with it, and you had to pay for all these extra services if you wanted to receive, you know, alerts about baseball game scores or something. And so, as Steve was talking more and more about it, I go, oh, this is, oh, this is awesome. I so want this thing. And he was kind of going, well, you know, with my trio, it's a, well, what? It doesn't have a physical keyboard. Well, I have to be, how am I supposed to touch type? It's like, well, don't, you know, do something else. Figure out a new yeah. way to do it. And reading back through some of the press reactions, um, I think we had one from Mike Elgin that we'd published. I don't think it was under Macworld, but we somehow brought it in from a a related IDG publication where he just got it so wrong. I mean, it's like eight reasons this is a total failure, and every single (laughs) one of them now is just laughable. But I think another it was another person who was sort of already – into a smartphone ecosystem where this was so wholly different didn't get it and he wasn't the only one there were there were several people who i think were you know technically respectable who just didn't see it at all you know and thought yeah. well this is kind of dumb or what do you mean you don't have any tactile feedback why would anybody use a device like that glass it's going to break or this, that, the other, or the screen's too small. You're going to look at the real internet? No, we really need this little text-based linky thing that you were talking about, which was horrible in retrospect. But at the time, they thought, no, this is much more navigable because then I don't have to deal with all those images and movies and things that make the internet right. fun. Yeah. But instead, and you were trying to more. navigate it from this little like keypad of like tiny hard keys. So right. it was mostly, yeah, like 
up, down, left, right, select. And yeah, I remember being, the thing I was the most blown away about was how the whole thing was a screen, so the buttons would change depending on what you were doing. Yeah. Like that was just, that was such a crazy concept that if you didn't need a keyboard, it wouldn't have a keyboard. If you were going to make a phone call, it would just give you the numbers. And if, yeah, that was nuts. Yeah, and I think that that is an important starting point for a lot of what Apple's doing now is this idea of contextual interface. So it changes depending on what you're doing. Prior to that, we had the iPod, and it was very menu-based. So it was kind of what computers were at the time, except in a mobile form and with kind of an interesting input device. But here suddenly, it's just kind of whatever's there, and buttons appear or disappear depending on what you're doing, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. And now we look at where we are now today, and people are arguing about little, you know, I don't, I don't like where this button is, or I don't like the look of this button, or is it a link, or is it a button? We're, we've kind of gone down to the minutia of the interface instead of stepping back and taking a breath and going, well, actually, this is a miracle in our pocket that it does all these things, and it really is a very, very powerful computer. And, um, and also, in the first couple of years of the iPhone's existence, there was no competition for it. It was like, yeah. that was it, right? If you, there was no Android. And so if you were a cell phone manufacturer, what were you going to do? Yeah. Because people were still doing tactile feedback on this thing. And, and I think BlackBerry was still hot because of the security elements it had. And, and so they were able to ride the business way for, for quite a while. Yeah. But, and they had an app store first, right? Yeah. Yeah. But their customers were not sort of normal people. It was businesses, which was fine you know they, they made a good living out of that right but they stuck with that and now we've seen what happened to them after <laughs> kind of not saying oh okay we need to change too because the influence of this of this iphone which has influenced everything that's uh, gone in our pockets in the last eight years yeah yeah and like uh, um when we we found the the picture that we ran with that, and it was just, you know, Apple's press stock of, you know, the, the first iPhone with its first home screen and a little hand holding it. And it's kind of striking to look at that home screen and go, wow, that's kind of just how it looks now. You know, mm -hmm. like the icons are a little flatter and there's more of them because of the App Store. But but I wonder if, you know, eight years on, if, if that's still the best interface or if they're just, you know, that's their brand and it's you know, there's, they're sticking with it, obviously, for now. But um, I wonder if, you know, the, when the next big, the big seismic shift is going to be in just how that home screen looks. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with control because maybe Siri is, is that in most mm -hmm. cases. You know, I mean, certainly there are going to be places where you don't want to be speaking out loud to your phone. But um, that kind of input where you're not worried so much about tapping anymore, but you tell your phone what you want to do, or, or there's a Japanese technology that's been around quite a while that actually reads your lips, so you don't have to say what you're going to, uh, what you want well, it to that do. that would be neat. Yeah, so you have to just mouth your commands, and it will do what you want. Uh, that was a kind of a big tech thing a couple of years ago. Oh, now this is the future, and I've heard nothing about it since then, so... Either it doesn't work or people realize, no, you have to retrain users to speak silently. And maybe people don't want to do that after all. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's so, way, so many ways to sense us now through touch, through sight, through, um, through other ways, not smell yet. Um, I expect there's going to be something new and interesting and along those lines. 
But yeah, good good work on Apple's part. It's totally changed again the way we do things, and um, and where people use these small devices now is their main communicator and uh, way with dealing with the internet rather than a computer anymore. Yeah, I was out to dinner with some friends last night, and um, and one of them had the iPhone six plus, which I don't have because I think it's a little too big. And and she says, yeah, this is this is how I deal with the world now. I don't use my laptop that much. I don't use an iPad Mini because the Screen is plenty big for reading, and so this is it for me. And um, and I was surprised. I I've heard of people, but I I know her pretty well, and she's always been kind of a laptop computer sort of person. But this has changed her mind. That keynote is just the best too. Yeah. If you, ha- if you haven't seen it in a while, it's worth going back and just watching some of that keynote because Steve Jobs is just giddy, and the the audience is just eating it up, and the you can get, you get kind of like a sense of just how exciting it was. So if you haven't seen it in a while, go check it out. It's definitely worth your time. I think you'll 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 sit down to watch, you know, 10 minutes and you'll end up watching the whole thing. Absolutely. Okay, a couple more things, but before we get to them, a word from lynda.com with over 3000 video courses, lynda.com has something for everyone. Kickstart your new year and challenge yourself to learn something new with a free 10-day trial to lynda.com. Lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. All of their courses are taught by experts and new courses are added to the site every week. Whether you want to set new financial goals, find work-life balance, invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, find a new job, or improve upon your current job skills in 2015, lynda.com has something for everyone. Sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com slash macworld, and you'll get unlimited access to every course on lynda.com. You get access to view tutorials on tablets and iPhone plus Android mobile devices, and you get access to new courses added every week. Some of the courses and videos that I recommend are iOS 8, iPhone and iPad essential training, setting up your mobile office to work from anywhere, and speeding up and maintaining your Mac. Plus, I've been spending a lot of time with my digital camera lately and so have tuned into a number of Ben Long's photography courses. And because I then need to edit my work, I've been watching Linda's Lightroom courses as well. So again, do something good for yourself in 2015 and sign up for a free 10-day trial to lynda.com by visiting lynda.com slash macworld. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash macworld. Go ahead. I challenge you to learn something new in 2015. Okay, little thing um, I saw somewhere today. Apple has passed Nikon to become the second most popular camera brand on Flickr. Hey, cool. How about that? <laughs> That's hilarious. I think it's great. Yeah, it's, um, and it, I guess it doesn't surprise me. What surprises me more about it is that Flickr is still that popular. I like Flickr a lot, particularly since they've redesigned it. Mm-hmm. But I'd forgotten about it for a long time because it hadn't been redesigned for, for quite some time. So at least people are are going back to Flickr, and it matters again. So yeah, good on Yahoo for that. Yeah, they opened up the storage. They gave people a lot more storage for free, so you don't have to be a Flickr Pro user anymore. Because mm-hmm. I think I was paying for the Pro level storage and couldn't really justify it, and was probably going to cancel it. But then they said, "Hey, you don't have to cancel it. It's free and it's huge." So so that was really nice, and I think that might have helped to uh, help Flickr kind of bounce back a little bit. 
But yeah, I mean, I can upload to Flickr from like every photo site, that, every photo app that I have. So it's not super surprising that a lot of photos are making their way to Flickr from people's phones, mm-hmm. you know, never even hitting the computer. Um, like, the, yeah, my if I wasn't going to put photos on, on Flickr, my computer doesn't even really enter the workflow. So I know Apple had been, you know, the, the best, iPhones had been the top phones on Flickr for a while, but it's kind of neat that they're they're the number two just camera maker. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it's Canon and then Apple, right? And it's then Canon, Apple, and then Nikon. Three. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I yeah. mean, I, it's probably a good ninety-five percent of the pictures I take I take with my phone. So right. Not surprising, but yeah, that's awesome. Now, how do you use Flickr? Do you because the way I use it is I will take the very best stuff that I shoot and I'll put that on Flickr. I don't put a a lot of things on there and I've been taking more pictures lately so some of those are going on Flickr but for things like my iPhone a lot of times I'll tweet those pictures rather than than share them on Flickr but do you kind of put everything on it um no I when my my son just turned three and when he was born I was trying to figure out the best way to share pictures of him with the people who were interested without mm-hmm. overloading people who weren't interested or, you know, just putting them everywhere. Like, you know, a lot of my friends share pictures of their kids on Facebook, but then Facebook has pictures of your kid and, you know, that might be fine now, but, you know, in, in you know, 15 years, your kid might not be happy with you for yeah. putting all that stuff on Facebook. And now there's like kind of a digital, you know, fingerprint of him out there somewhere. So yeah, I was using Flickr because I thought they had, you know, better controls. Mm-hmm. But I haven't been, I haven't updated it in a really long time. I had them kind of open and then someone was being a jerk online. And I went and like shut what? it all down. And yeah, I know. Jerks crazy. online? Yeah, yeah. So live? I was like, so I started thinking about like, okay, where do I have, you know, pictures that are not protected? So like my Instagram is protected and mm-hmm. my Flickr is now protected. So um, yeah, I was using it for a while and I've kind of stopped a little bit, but, um, but it's, yeah, the design is really good and they give you a lot of storage and I, th- I think it's still got a lot of good community features for people that, you know, are into photography because they show you like, you know, what settings and everything yeah. that every camera was, every picture was taken with. So, so if you're into photography and, you know, joining groups and, and discussing it, like Flickr's still great for that. Yeah, I find that it's one, and I I love looking through the EXIF data on pictures that I admire, mm-hmm. um, just so I can you know, mimic some of them. If I go out shooting, oh, let me try what they did, you know, and spend more time yeah. in aperture priority mode versus program mode or or shutter priority. So I, it's a learning experience for me, and also the people I follow tend to use Flickr the same way I do, which is again they keep their private stuff private. And I do that with pictures of my family. I don't want that out in the world. Um, and then they put their best stuff in public because I think that's kind of where they, much like me, they figure, well, this is kind of my showcase moment. Like, ooh, right. look, look at this awesome picture I took versus look at this crap picture I took of my dinner. Yeah. Um, and then you can put, you know, Creative Commons on them. And, mm-hmm. you know, people like me can say, oh, I need a really cool picture of, you know, a, an old iMac for for an article and I can right. find yours and email you and say hey can I use this and so that's kind of cool about Flickr too yeah no I, I think they've done a great job with it and I and I hope they keep on with it um, last thing I had on my list was last week Marco Armand um, 
wrote a shortish article basically saying that Yosemite and iOS 8 feel like Apple's kind of overextended itself, where things are not working as well as they could in a number of areas. And a bunch of people jumped on that and said, yeah, you're right. This is the worst possible versions of both of them ever. Um, and then he, I think people who were sort of Apple trolls said, yes, we're going to grab this guy's name and publicize this and say, look, this famous guy said it's terrible. So we're right. Apple's awful and, and we're good. Uh, at which point Marco said, no, 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 that wasn't the point. I'm really trying to kind of move the conversation along and not just say that Apple's awful. So I wanted to talk just a minute or two about what our views are on Yosemite and iOS 8. Is it really unusually buggy and funky, or is this just because we have short memories and we forgot a year ago when we were complaining about the same sort of thing about Mavericks and iOS 7 or the year before that? Um, yeah, I think that our memories are kind of short <laughs> and that uh, these these big releases like end up having a lot of bugs. And what he said was altogether reasonable. Um, you know, it is concerning that they're trying to push out, you know, a new major release of, you know, both sides of the of the platform at the same time every year. Like that's that's quite the schedule. And somebody pointed out that, you know, it's January, so they're probably already working on next year's and you know, there's only so much engineering resources in the company. So if they're working on next year's, who is, you know, f squashing all the bugs in this year's? Mm -hmm. And yet those are all really good points. Um, and just the way that everything works together now, they added a lot more um, ways for developers to, you know, have handoff and continuity and extensions. And, and there's a lot more, you know, kind of hanging off the bottom of the software now. It's not just... Here, here's like the the stuff from Apple, and, and you know everything's all sandboxed, and you only have to keep your eyes on your own paper. So now everything's trying to work together. That's another layer of complexity, and so it's not really surprising that we're having these bugs. But I feel like they're you know, yeah, he made a lot of really good points, and it's a shame that people you know took this and were like, oh, I can't believe an, an Apple fanboy would ever say anything mean about Apple. And that's that's really, if if you've been following the community, you know, this is not out of character for, for him or for anyone who, you know, really watches these things. Yeah, I think we've been complaining about the iCloud services or Apple's cloud services altogether for years mm -hmm. where it always looks like, oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be great. And then it's not. And syncing is always an issue. I think what's Different this time around is that, like you suggest, basically there were two legs to the Apple ecosystem. It was either the OS X for your computer and it was iOS, and the two would deal with each other. iCloud has become much more important, so now it's really a triangle. It's the three of them working together. And if any one part, and I think I'm pointing a finger at iCloud, isn't working as well as it could be, then things become they start to fall apart in a very visible way and a way that's frustrating. And I think even Apple found that when they released the two operating systems and they started leaving out features that had been demonstrated, like, oh, okay, that's not going to be in here. And of course, Apple never talks about the future, so they didn't say, oh, and it's going to be here when we do this next release, like 8.1, some of the continuity features came back that they demoed that were, were not there originally. Also, part of it is the public demos that they do so, or the public betas. So you've got a greater number of people who have actually seen these things. Then they get to the full release, and those features that they've seen before aren't there anymore. And I think that 
raises the perception that Apple is somehow screwing things up. And maybe those little omissions were more hidden in the past than they were this time around. And then I think part of it, too, is just the nature of releasing software these days. So much stuff comes out beta now. We almost built up an expectation that it's not going to be finished, even though I say, here it is. It's like, oh, that's missing. Yeah, 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 we know. that's. Uh, don't worry about it. We're going to fill that in in the next two weeks or a month or sometime in the future. That's all going to work again. I think one of the interesting suggestions from people is that maybe the next release should be like a snow leopard sort of release. Yeah. So instead of going for the big feature wow again, this time just spend a lot of time going under the hood, making sure everything works. And one concern people had is, well, yeah, but people will really be angry if they don't come out with a bunch of features. Well, that didn't happen under Snow Leopard. And it didn't happen under Mountain Lion. Basically, Apple um, told the story beforehand and said, we're going to build underneath the hood because we're looking at future technologies. So you're not going to see the big wow features this time. But this is going to make the whole ecosystem move forward in a much more interesting and solid way. So you'll be good with that, right? And most people were. I don't really recall people at the time saying, oh, Apple is doomed because there's not a new feature that I'm never actually going to use. Yeah, and Snow Leopard was before, you know, when they were still charging for, for OS updates. Mm -hmm. So so people were even cool with paying for Snow Leopard, even though they weren't, you know, getting 100 new features. They were right. getting a more stable um, operating system. And yeah, so I think especially now that they're, you know, they're giving away these software updates for free, if they, if they came back and said, okay, this one's more like, you know, 10.10.5. Um, we yeah. We're going to call it 10.11, but yeah, it's basically Snow Yosemite Lion, <laughs> and um, yeah, and then and they just you know get get some of the get some of the bugs out, and um, and and if if they can can sell that as a as a feature, I think people will still upgrade. If yeah, and have I have to do a lot of new things. Right, and they're they're still going to have some new technology that's floating around. We were talking about HealthKit and HomeKit. Mm -hmm. This is something they've been talking about since last WWDC. So that gives them a year and a half to integrate more of that stuff. So it may all seem more feature-rich, but maybe these technologies have existed longer, and they're kind of incorporating those under the hood so that when you interact with other devices, suddenly your home or your media devices or something, these things work in a better way. But it still isn't like, oh, look, we've totally changed the interface of this or that thing. But rather, it looks familiar, but it works better. And that should make everybody happier. Yeah. Yes. But and, you know, some of the features now are, are almost a little bit outsourced, if you think about it that way. Like mm -hmm. third, third party keyboards, that's a feature. But so, you know, but Apple isn't making third party keyboards. They're yeah. made by third parties. So Apple's supporting them. But um, yeah, it's it's the iOS 8 especially was a lot of, you know, here's some more tricks for what developers can do. And that's kind of nice because then the functionality is there, but, um, you know, it can roll out like as developers get around to updating their apps. So even if, you know, you're just coming to, even if you downloaded iOS 8 on day one, like, you know, your phone is still getting better as you, you find the right apps and install them mm -hmm. and update them and they keep rolling out more and more. So... Yeah, provided they don't do things to frustrate developers, saying, hey, look, you can do this, and then somebody does it, and they go, oh, well, you can't do that. Yeah. Really? I thought you said we could do that. No. And we're taking away these things you used to be able to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's a, I certainly wouldn't want to be in charge of anything over there. <laughs> so, uh, unless you have something else, we're done. 
No, I think I'm good. Okay, good. Well, we will send, uh, then say that wraps up another episode of the Macro Podcast. Brought to you by Zero Beautiful Accounting Software and Lynda.com with over 3,000 video courses. Lynda.com has something for everyone. If you have any comments or questions, drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. And otherwise, thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you next week.